Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 174, with Will Patch from Niche.com, doing great work in the enrollment and marketing area. Uh, Will shares some amazing tips and insights uh, from his work examining uh, trends for the year ahead and uh, his experience in this space, both working professionally uh, at an institution and uh, the past few years uh, at niche.com. So uh, if you are listening to this episode as it's coming out, uh, this week was a big week for the show. Uh, We did join the Enrollify podcast network. Uh, They're acquiring the show. I will be still at the helm uh, doing the interviews and uh, doing all the work uh, on this end, but they'll be helping out with some of the more uh, functional pieces around editing and promoting the show and helping to bring in uh, more resources for the show. So uh, really awesome milestone after five years. been working on this for a couple of months. been uh, eagerly awaiting uh, being able to share the news out with you all. So uh, only could do this with everyone's support. Uh, and this is just, you know, a great moment for me uh, to achieve after all of these years of writing solo. Uh, so more great stuff to come for the show uh, in the year ahead, especially now uh, that we have joined forces uh, with the Enrollify Podcast Network. So much more cool stuff to come. Stay tuned for that. But without further ado, this is episode number 174 with Will Patch. So it is always nice to have a fellow higher ed podcaster on the show. So uh, our guest today uh, is a fellow content creator um, over at uh, Niche. So we're going to start out as we always do, though, um, to let our guests introduce themselves, give a little introduction and their uh, professional background and how they got to be uh, where they are today before we get into today's episode of enrollment and marketing and uh, kind of forecasting the trends for the year ahead. Great. Thank you, Dustin. It's it's really fun to be on this side uh, where it's it's not me with my notebook over here. Okay, I need to jot down this question. I have edit <laughs> points marked out. I don't have to do any editing after that. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> my name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed here at Niche. Um, I've been here now three and a half years already, uh, but before that, uh, I was at Manchester University for nine years. Uh, it's great working at your alma mater. Uh, started out there as a recruiter on the road, you know, spending 12 weeks every fall driving through Ohio and East Central Indiana, uh, and absolutely loved that. Moved into an operations role where I got to manage the CRM and all the front of house work and applications and forms and websites and marketing. And that was awesome. Got to start all of our social channels back in 2010, uh, which feels longer ago now that I say it out loud. Uh, and and then moved into a digital strategist role, which was unique. Uh, it was a, a role that I originated. I uh, got to do user uh, user experience testing, website optimization, running all of our digital marketing campaigns, uh, running our social channel. I mean, just if it had to do with with data and optimization, that was sort of my role. Uh, it was interesting because it was a, um, it was more like an internal agency, internal consulting, because I didn't really have a department. Uh, mm-hmm. I just worked in an office in a basement and uh, got to do Office, I got to do projects for the president's office, for enrollment and marketing, advancement. Um, I was pretty heavily involved in institutional research. Uh, and that was that was an awesome experience. Uh, and it, it sort of kicked off my remote work, uh, where I got to work from home a couple days a week uh, when I didn't have meetings on campus. And now for three and a half years, I've been working fully remote now in beautiful 
frozen tundra northeast indiana this time of year <laughs> uh yeah well and i think just a couple of things like um because yeah it's still a dream of mine as i keep putting this energy out into the universe is working professionally at my alma mater the university of delaware uh go blue hens mm-hmm. so like just that idea that you have already had that sort of milestone and like you said even you like originated certain work and just like you know it sort of uh segued you perfectly into kind of what you're doing now even with like even the, like yeah. the micro parts of like working from home a couple of days a week you yeah. know just like just that familiarity of being like wow this is great i i, I want to do more of this and um starting yeah. to have yeah that impact on a, on a broader scale at your uh current organization i guess you know, I'm sure you get this a lot of like niche or niche or, uh, yep, yep. you know, <laughs> yeah, however, you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, but uh, just for folks edification, because I know you, you all do a lot there, but um, if you want to just explain briefly what uh, your organization niche does, uh, I know that, you know, we'll be focusing on the higher ed portion of the work, but yeah. um, however you want to kind of summarize it all. Yeah. So the, the easiest description that I, I've had is the largest platform pre- for preschool through grad school search. Uh, and then in addition, there's research on places to live, uh, things like that as well. Focusing in on higher ed, though, um, think of it kind of like Yelp for for the big decisions in life. It's not mm-hmm. what cheeseburger am I going to get tonight, but uh, can you tell I like cheeseburgers? Uh, but but also, where am I going to college? Where am I going to live? Where will, where should I send my kids uh, to preschool, to school, all that? Um, there's sort of two tracks uh, when you think about what we do. There's the awareness and branding portion uh, where we have these rich profiles where um, partners can can upload a whole gallery of photos, videos, social, um, having custom call to actions where students can go back to explore the most valuable parts of the website, Um, and then remarketing from those profiles as well, keeping top of mind there. Uh, And then there's the connections and enrollments, so sort of the action-based. And that's where you get into the inquiries where students, parents can add colleges to a list of consideration and say, here's where I'm looking at. Here's where I might want to go. Here's where I'm researching. They can change their statuses and say things like, well, I visited here. I've already applied here. They can use it for their full tracking. Uh, and then there's the prospects. There's the, the custom ones where, you know, for me coming from a very small uh, college, you know, there are people within the state of Indiana who, really were looking for a college like Manchester, but didn't know it existed. And they were looking at colleges like us. And that's where we help colleges get in front of those students and say, okay, you love this this college, but here's another college that is a lot like it that you might also be interested in. Uh, and students opt in to whether or not they want that. Uh, and then there's just your traditional, you know, I'm looking for all students interested in this major in this state. Uh, and then we have direct admissions as well. So it's that nudge of, you know, we already know that majority of colleges accept the majority of students, 60% of colleges accept over 80% of applicants. So if you're a 4.0 student, you know, you're going to get in pretty much everywhere. Uh, So why take that extra step of making them spend 10, 15, 20 minutes uh, filling out what they already have filled out on their niche profile? Uh, and so we we started piloting this, um, but that's that's been a big one for us now, uh, helping students directly connect, find out where they are accepted, what their initial scholarship would be, and helping them jump straight into the process with colleges. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, just kind of the both sides of like helping students make more informed choices and then helping uh, institutions, yeah, just kind of, uh, yeah, just more smartly recruit uh 
students who are, you know, more likely to actually like go there or, uh, you know, all those sort of things. Cause like, that's just something I've been geeking out about a lot lately is like, you know, it's such like an emotional thing when people search for colleges, like they might just have it in their head where it's like, I have to go here for whatever reason. It might be one of the yep. like, you know, name brand institutions out there or they just or have mom such and dad a, went there. Or, right. Right. Yeah. Or like a limited, even just familiarity with like, you know, what institutions are out there or what they offer. So like, as you start to kind of, like you were saying, like, Hey, like if you're interested in this, why don't you consider this? And it's like, that can also start to have someone start to articulate like, well, well, this is like, it's too suburban. Uh, well, it's actually too big or like, you know, maybe it's a little too expensive. Like they can start, I think to like get more specificity as to like what they're actually looking for versus just like, I want to go to NYU because I want to go to NYU. Like, you know, I can't even like tell you why. And it's like, cool. I, I'm, I'm sure you would have a great time if you went there. But like for what you're looking for, as you've hopefully started to refine it, as you've, you know, uh, you know, start to kind of look around, you could find like, yeah, a great deal in a place that might be, you know, cheaper to live in. And like all those details that like, like we just said, it's like just all like it's a big decision and there's a lot of details to it. And hopefully, uh, you know, we could just have students just be able to make that much more informed decisions so that they, you know, save money, save time, are able to just kind of, uh, you know, actually earn their credentials in a, you know, in a timely manner and those sort of ways. And, and like, I feel like with the direct admissions piece too, like try to like alleviate some of the stress, you know, and anxiety of yeah. the whole thing where it's just like, like you could just kind of get in here. Like you're not have to, you know, wait around or worry. Like there's not going to be any kind of ambiguity here. Like, you know, you know what this place has to offer, and you know that you'll you know be able to get in and those sort of things so that's that's yeah. that's really great yeah i mean exactly and and so if a student i mean even if they wind up enrolling at that first college they said well this is where i'm going to go if they've explored other options if they've at least said here's what's out there here's why i really love this place you know i didn't i hadn't considered these aspects but then when i saw them at these other places i realized that yes i i love nyu yes i love um, you know, Bradley, I love, you know, all these different options, you know, if you can better articulate it, hopefully that means that they are also less likely to transfer them too, because they've, they've considered other options and they've said, yes, this is the best option for me. Whereas if they say, well, I'm going here because it's close to home, or I'm just going to go here because my boyfriend, girlfriend goes here. I'm just going here because they offered me the most money and it's $500 less than this other option. You know, if they consider the entire, the entire weight of what they're looking at, you know, hopefully they're making better decisions then ultimately. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it just kind of helps the whole ecosystem kind of work a little better. Cause I think there's certainly like, I, you know, I'm a strong advocate for, you know, really effective and clear and easy transfer processes, but like at a certain point, like the scale and kind of intricacy of that, like, it's like, yeah, we don't want obviously every student to be transferring all over the place constantly. Yeah. But like, so like that sort of like moderation and all things like we want it to be as easy as possible for the people that want to do it or need to do it. But like, yeah, like, hopefully, because of the time and the money and those sort of things, like, yeah, students are making a well informed choice from the beginning. And there wouldn't need to be sort of like a whole 
massive machine of students transferring constantly for one reason or another. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, a topic for another day, but yep. uh, yeah. I mean, if someone needs to transfer, <laughs> I mean, they need to transfer, but you, you don't need to transfer four or five times. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think that's like the idea. Like we, we've reached that peak level where it's like yep. on one hand, make it easier to do, but also make it less likely to occur by yeah, yes. helping students make more important choices. So um, I wanted to, to, Touch briefly, though, because I know one of the things that you do in your role is uh, your own podcast around enrollment insights and everything. So um, just a fellow hired podcaster, I'm just curious, like yeah. what your experience has been like doing that. If you had any like sort of background going in and just like insights that you've taken away from just like the act of doing it, because I think from here, we'll you know, we'll get into the sort of the meat of our conversation of like trends and enrollment and marketing and all that good stuff. But like, mm-hmm. obviously, like having these kind of conversations and like deep diving on stuff and talking to a lot of different people, I'm just curious, like, yeah, your experience and, and any any lessons learned that you've had from uh, doing your own podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, you're you're you have a lot more experience than me. We're only 94 episodes in at this point. So <laughs> uh, I, to me, it's, it's a great way to get to ask questions. And to meet people, uh, because I, I love learning, I love building relationships. But uh, if you're like me and you're not an extrovert and you're not going to just walk up and start talking to people, uh, it's a great way to say, "Hey, would you like to talk?" With the context of, you know, the, I, I want to pick your brain about something for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been a much easier icebreaker for me than just cold emailing someone and saying, "Hey, I think you're doing awesome work. I'd love to pick your brain," uh, because that's that's a struggle. Uh, I think some of the things that have really surprised me with it, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I only listen to ones I subscribe to. And only about half of our listeners are subscribers. So there's people who are discovering episodes here or there, or they're listening here and there, uh, but they're not subscribing. And, and that, that, that to me is, is not the way I work. I, I like having the structure of, uh, I use podcast addict and and I like having that structure of it goes out and finds new episodes, brings them mm-hmm. in. I can build my playlist. You know, a big surprise was sort of the response to it, I think. Uh, people coming up at conferences and things say, oh, I listen to the podcast or, oh, I know your voice. Uh, and, and it's interesting that that generally manifests in one of two ways. Either there's the, oh, I didn't want to bother you because because I, I know your name and all this. That That I really, I relate to that. Uh, and then there's the, um, I think it's called a parasocial type of, of relationship where, you know, you've been in their car, you've been in their ear while they're walking and they come up and start talking to you like you've met. And then I'm racking my brain of, okay, do I, have we met before and I've forgotten, I feel horrible and all this. And it's like, oh, no, 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 they just, they just hear my voice. Uh, I think there's a real, just looking at the amount of listening and the amount of feedback from it, I think there's just a hunger for this format and for quality audio. I think that's, that's been a surprise. Uh, I was a little worried at first cause this was something, geez, three and a half years ago when I started was one of my long list of here's something we could try. Uh, we started recording then in January of 2020, uh, had the first episode scheduled to go out the same week, everything locked down. So <laughs> the timing was interesting there. Uh, but I was a little worried that there's so many podcasts out there that, well, is this, is this different enough? Does this add something new to the conversation? Um, I think part of that came down to, I wanted to make something I was really passionate about. And I, I made the mistake. And, and if this is one of the lessons learned, um, 
you don't necessarily want to ask people what they want. You need to give them something that you're passionate about that can fill a void. Um, you know, I, I think we've all heard the the supposed saying of of uh, Henry Ford saying, if I'd asked people what they want, they would have said pastor horses, right? Mm-hmm. Even though there's no evidence he actually said that. Uh, but it's it's a good <laughs> it's a good quote, right? Yeah, it's a good line. It's a good line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like uh Abraham Lincoln saying, Don't believe everything you see on the internet. Uh <laughs> the there was a, a time that I made the mistake of asking, well, what type of, of episodes would you like to see? And one of those was I want people said they wanted uh episodes that really focus in on niche platform data. So we did a couple of those, and those are the lowest performing episodes. Uh you know, because I think people want instead, yes, that sounds nice, but it's easier to see it than to hear it. Um, I mean, a, a data, I love data, but a data heavy episode to just listen to numbers and stats is in hindsight, not that thrilling. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, another surprise was the how well webinars do in mm-hmm. audio format. Because you think about the amount of time you put into making the slides and getting all the visuals looking great, we're seeing webinars. We have an audio cast format that that we take the webinar and just convert it to a podcast. Um, seeing about thirteen times as many people listening as they watch the recording after. So you know that that was a surprise. I thought, well, okay, it'll give people who want that option an opportunity, right? And that was not at all what happened. More people prefer to listen to it. So that was that was a surprise. I, I mean, a, a, bit, a bit of advice if anyone's thinking of of what, doing one, do what you and I do and get a high quality mic. Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. is that's a good one. Uh, it makes a huge difference uh, compared to listening to something that sounds like it was done on a phone. For interview formats, um, I think just saying be a good listener, and this is where I enjoy listening to your podcast because of that when you have a host who's good at listening, good at asking follow-up questions, you can hear podcasts where they're just reading a list of questions. And when the guest responds to that question, they move on to the next. There's no engagement. There's no follow-up. It's less, less interesting to listen to. Right. Well, cause yeah, like I think that's like the sort of the longevity of podcasts as, is that idea. Like there's an intimacy to- towards it. it just, there's a warmth. There's kind of the, yeah, like it, it can just feel like a casual conversation or just more engaging. But even with all that, like you said, like it's not well suited for everything. If you're, even if you're doing a webinar that's super data heavy, it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't like track the numbers real, you know, it's just going to yeah. be kind of gobbledygook and you're going to get sort of lost in it. And then, yeah, probably just bail Here's out. a beautiful chart that you can't hear. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's like, cause yeah, I think that advice has been, is like a huge thing where like, I think a lot of people are still going to be trying to figure out, you know, yeah, like, well, you know, yeah, everybody's got a podcast or I start one. It's like, yeah, but just think of it in that way. Like you said, like it can just be a vehicle for like all the things that you're already doing, like how do you sort of like, you know, churn it into the podcast feed and stuff like that, where it's like, okay, we've got to like, you know, convert this thing over here. So it's got to kind of, you know, process and all that, but then we can, you know, still utilize that pretty well over here, but it's not like every webinar, but most of them we can, or like, you know, even like, I know I like to try to as many times as I can, if I do like a conference panel or something like, can I get the audio from that to put into the feed? So it's like, yeah. you know, things that you're already doing. And I mean, honestly, I do some people like literally like read blog posts and like, like if you're a good writer and like, you know, sometimes again, like some writing is not going to lend itself to being, you know, read aloud and be as engaging, but 
Yeah, I mean, like, there, there could just be creativity, and it's not like you have to do an episode every single week or something. You can just figure out what's going to be, you know, uh, sustainable for you. But, I mean, yeah, like, I'm, I'm just a huge advocate for the medium. Obviously, I've been doing this for a very long time, and I think that yeah. that advice is spot on for sure. Um, and I think for me, the funny thing that I kind of want to start, like, <laughs> kind of uh, preaching to people is, like, because what I've done is taken, like, summer and winter breaks, but then, like, rebroadcast old episodes to keep the feed active mm-hmm. and everything and just make it super clear and a lot you know a lot of podcasts do this but like i've sometimes seen the rebroadcast do better than the original posting of the episode and so, you know so like there's sometimes just timing where like there's a lot of noise that week or something you know yeah. like people just yep. didn't see it um because like like you said like, i think there's always going to be certain kind of power users you know and fans of a show or like never miss an episode but like i know that i think most of my community they're cherry picking episodes that are relevant or just, you know, those sort of things. So it's like, you know, they see that rebroadcast come up and it's like, oh, I actually have time or maybe, yeah. you know, this wasn't relevant then, but it is now I changed jobs or I don't know, you know, whatever. So there's, yeah, like always interesting things like that, where it's just like, wow, more people wanted to, I guess, listen to this webinar, you know, audio only on their car ride versus like sit at their desk and have to like, you know, kind of be tethered uh, in that way. So yeah, that's cool. Cool. Uh, little uh, insights to share there about your your experience i yeah. appreciate that yeah. it's fun when you get those little uh those little oh that i didn't think that that would be <laughs> something at work there was uh you, you always have that i i think of that as the gnome situation uh because it um at manchester one year we decided you know summer on a college campus is pretty dead right uh-huh. and so we decided all right let's just try something completely different uh and over summer on social we're going to have a little gnome statue, I give campus tours and show different parts of campus and things like that. And that turned out to be some of the highest performing content. <laughs> uh, it, it's just a, it's literally pictures and short videos of a painted gnome statue around campus. Perfect. So, yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. Can I ask you what, what mic you use? So if people are looking for a good mic recommendation. So I, on this one, it came from Amazon. It is a Samson. Um, so it has its own little like kickstand and uh, just a yeah, USB microphone. I think it's like 50 or $60. I'm honestly going to get another one because I want to try to get even just like a simple mixer to try to like do some in-person recording and stuff. But yeah, yeah I mean, that's the thing too, where like even a modest investment ups your game so much so that, oh, yeah. that's like yeah that, that's so crucial i think for people who are really kind of committing to to doing this the next kind of you know kind of getting into kind of the topic at hand you know enrollment marketing trends and everything you uh as of the recording of this episode just released a <laughs> uh, super uh, awesome blog post on this so we are very well timed for our conversation here so you know if you want to kind of um i guess cover you know if you want to get in you know six i don't know if that was a magic number or what but you want to talk about all of them or the ones that kind of like resonate with you mostly as maybe being you know something that is like surprising or you know something that you've seen really kind of uh kick up into high gear recently but yeah just what do you see as some of these major trends for enrollment getting uh heading into 2023 yeah and and that is pulling back the curtain because now people can go back and say oh when did they record this and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i think the I, I cherry picked a little. I just did four of them, but uh, I think for me, one of the big ones is this rise of window shopping. Uh, that students are not necessarily going directly to the college, raising their hand, saying, "Hey, I'd love to talk to someone," or "Hey, please give me a phone call." All that they're instead doing their search online. You know, without sort of this. I mean, if we think of the 
uh, the the admissions counselor, the admissions rep, the whatever we want to title them as sort of the the concierge or the sales rep or whoever, they're they're going around them. Instead, they're going online. They're looking on sites like Niche. They're going on social. They're watching YouTube videos. They're they want to get a feel for the college. They're doing the research on their own without going through the admissions office more and more. Uh, the number of students who are telling us that they are not filling out inquiry forms with a college has been going up. Number of students not taking any campus visits has gone up. So they're not doing sort of these traditional top of funnel type things. Um, mm-hmm. So instead, being able to address that needs to be a priority. Are you in front of students where they are online? Are you taking advantage of remarketing from your website? Because they're going to your website. They're going to college websites and looking at information. They're looking for the tuition and fees. They're looking for program information, extracurriculars. If they can't find it, you know, they're not going to spend a ton of time. There's 4,000 plus colleges. You know, why spend all their time on one they can't learn anything about? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's this rise in if they can't find it, they're moving on um, because they aren't going to go fill out inquiry form and wait for that email in the comm flow to finally come back and tell them what they want to know. Uh, so that's that's a big one, I think. Uh, so being able to address that is is a priority, should be a priority for campuses. I think the expansion of direct admissions, we've just seen such interest in it. Uh, that was something when I was at AMA and ACRO-SEM and, and even NACAC, that was still early days, uh, which is hard to believe because it wasn't that long ago. Direct admissions is such a way of removing barriers. Uh, students keep saying that the application is a barrier in terms of things are confusing. They don't know what questions mean. Too much information is required. Uh, they have to submit too many things after the fact. So things like test scores uh, that we already know are not predictive anyway. So let's, why do we still have them? Uh, things like you need three essays. You need four recommendations. You need why? Why? How many students have been denied because of that at most schools? You know, that's something that if it's only there to make it seem more prestigious or to see who will jump through the hoops, that's not a good reason to ask it. Right. Uh, but, students say they don't like it. It makes me think uh, of like, it's a TSA pre-check of like admissions or something where it's, it's like, hey, if you could prove to us that like you're kind of like legit and you've got your stuff in order, like you're yeah. a really strong student and all that, <laughs> it's like, we're going to kind of expedite you here, you know, and just yeah. like, yeah, so that, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, I use the example a lot of times of like a 3.8, 4.0 student. How many colleges are they legitimately going to be denied at? Mm-hmm. Right? 10, 20 out of 4,000? You know, so for a student like that, especially, what, why? Why make them go through all these hoops? Uh, if instead you can go directly to them and say, hey, based on your academic record, what you're looking for, you know, we, we could be a good fit for you. You would be accepted here if you're interested. And here's your initial scholarship. So it's very proactive mm-hmm. rather than waiting around for them to discover you, get enough interest, apply, and then have to wait and wait to get that scholarship. Lead with it. I mean, that, that would certainly catch their attention. When we talk to students, that absolutely does. Uh, there were even students who said that they weren't sure they were going to college at all and then they saw, oh, no, this college is actually really affordable. I'm going. Now they're enrolled this fall. Uh, that that was such a huge 
thing because that is exactly what what should be doing right reach these students who are either on the fence or are only looking at a certain type of college because they believe they can't uh, afford a certain other type and instead go out and show yeah this is a good option yes we could be a good fit and letting them then opt in to say yeah i want to move forward with that it makes such a big difference. Well, and I know like what you said in the article too, is like so many of the trends are like very student centered and, and like yeah. the way that that is in my head is like removing friction points. Like it's just like, cause that's an idea with a lot of stuff. If you're like just doing an internet search, like, Oh, I want to buy a thing. And if you just hit friction, you'll probably bail out, go somewhere else or do whatever. So if it's just like, you know, like for better or worse, cause I guess like the shopping metaphor isn't like exactly there. Cause like, you know, brands obviously would, would love it if you don't just like black out and just buy it because it's just so easy or like kind of like an impulse thing or whatever. But it's like, okay, I know it's going to be like a little bit more involved in college or people are going to be a little bit more thoughtful. But like, you know, because the other sort of parallel that it makes me think of is like uh, when people are like trying to vote and especially like by mail lately and it's like, oh, well, the signature or this or there wasn't a date on the thing or whatever. And like, you know, they just throw out their ballot and just like i want to go here i want to vote or whatever like whatever it is like you know like i want to go to this college and if it's like well you don't have your like five letters of recommendation you have four or something and it's just like incomplete you can't do it or like you know you get denied because it's a you know whatever so like you know you can't just create that delinquency and and i sort of always just like i hate things that have that sort of like uh aspect to them so because yeah like i mean like people being able to make informed choices like they're either gonna like be put off by you know just this like you know ordeal of an application process or yeah like they try to apply and something goes wrong and you know that friction you know throws them off or something so yeah and and, i mean i think about like there was a a time i wanted to get a new pair of shoes and there's a shoe store here in town that is really well regarded and all that and you go in you have to take a number and you have to wait for them to call your number and that you can't just go pick out a pair of shoes and try them on. You have to go, it's no, I'm, I am not interested in, in waiting and spending a whole afternoon just to find out that either they don't have a shoe I like, or it doesn't fit right. So I just left. I mean, it was just friction for the sake of that's the way they've always done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's such a pain. I mean, think about, you have to think about what is on the application was on. And, and this is something that I talk I'm pulling out my soapbox here, I know, but the, the, you have to think about all of your processes in terms of let's start the inquiry form. You know, if you look at the inquiry form, what do you actually need to start a conversation? Mm-hmm. You need name, email, what type of student they are, uh, probably even grad year, but not necessarily to start that conversation. You know, knowing their major, these other things are helpful, not needed for that initial conversation. Uh, but instead, when you see colleges that offer an uh, inquiry form with 40 fields on it, and then most of that is never addressed in the ComFlow, you're asking too much at that stage. You know, mm-hmm. if there's things that, yes, you need for the application, ask them on the application. If there's things you need for enrollment, ask them at that stage. But front-loading everything just creates more of a barrier. Uh, I don't know if you've filled out inquiry forms for fun on your phone. Uh, it's a pain. It is a pain. Uh, yeah, so that was so. Think about all your processes that way. Uh, I think it, part of that. Uh, I, I'm thinking of 2023 as the year of the calm flow. Uh, the, mm. the this is something that we we ask every year. 
uh, about whether or not students are receiving personalized and relevant information. And this past year, it nearly doubled in the number of students saying that all colleges look and sound the same. That's not great. Uh, I believe it was, yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at several times as many students saying that they're receiving really great personalized and relevant information versus everything looks and sound the same. I can't tell one college for the other if I black out the name. Mm-hmm. So making sure that the Comflow is looked at in terms of it is, or is this something that really showcases who we are? You know, students say they really care about relevance. And, and by that, I mean the right message on the right channel at the right time. You know, if you're talking to, and I'm doing secret shopping right now, I'm as a junior, so as if I'm a junior right now, and there's colleges telling me to apply for January. Like, but I'm, I'm not even going to be out of high school. I have another year and a half out of high school after that. I can't, right. I can't apply for college yet. That's not relevant. Uh, almost as many colleges have sent me information about majors that I did not ask about as what I did ask about. That's not relevant. If I say I'm interested in this program, please send me information about that program. Um, I mean, things like that that just have to get better. Um, and then I think in terms of the whole process, reframing it in terms of the student perspective. So what does the student need and want to hear about, not what do we need to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, so thinking about, well, we want them to visit. Well, okay, telling them to visit over and over again doesn't give them a why should they care. Instead, tell them all about the great things on campus, the great experiences, the outcomes, the great aid, you know, your award-winning programs, and oh, by the way, you can meet with these great faculty members and you can see these things in action when you come to visit. Uh, but just send the email that says visit today, it, it, that's a waste because it's not giving them any reason to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the headlines are differentiation and personalization. Um, yes. Which I think, yeah, are just key. Because uh, yeah, well, it's like, it's almost a tragedy, like how easy it is to just like blast out these like mass emails and stuff. And you're just doing it for like all prospective students and just, yeah, like being yeah. like, I don't know, yeah, start in January. And you're like, I don't know, maybe that'll work for some people or whatever. But it's like, yeah. well, you're annoying everybody else. or they're just sort of like, <laughs> you know, ignoring you and that just becomes like white noise or something you know like um so yeah that's yeah. that's super super good advice yeah sort of a sort of a uh, scorched earth tactic that well we might we might get a few people and the rest of us will wind up in spam exactly yeah um well i think you know maybe the the little tinge of desperation maybe you know of uh yeah. some institutions in this space is because of this sort of overarching existential crisis of the you know demographic enrollment cliff and things that are, are impending and i think there's a lot of the disruptions and kind of the the uh aftershocks of the pandemic so kind of what do you make of all that obviously like you're so immersed uh, in this space kind of on a on a larger scale so are you seeing like okay this is like you know doom on the horizon or are things just changing and people don't know kind of like what to make of it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a panic situation. Uh, that that's my, if, if we have a, a TLDR here for this question, <laughs> it's not a panic situation. Um, you know, when the naming itself is a problem to me, because when you think of a cliff, what do you think of? I mean, you're just falling off into like, yeah. it's, it's just it's a free fall, right? It's this sheer sudden drop off. But this is very gradual. It's more of a of a sloping hill. It's not a cliff. Um, I just don't I don't think there is this existential crisis. Are there going to be colleges closed? Yes, but that's 
that's been a long going issue. This is not a sudden thing. Um, when we look at, at birth rate data, I mean, that's really what this is all rooted in. It really, I mean, the number of, of students will be turning 17, 18 starts dropping off in 2025. We've already seen some dip in terms of enrollment between the pandemic and then just a really strong job market. Uh, I mean, I, I've talked about this before, but there's a Taco Bell here in town that's advertising $15 an hour plus benefits. Mm. Well, that if you're working there full time, that's 30000 a year. So I could either go to college and be an admissions counselor or I could go work at Taco Bell. And one doesn't require four years of prep work. Uh, right. So for students, I can see why. It, it's the same thing that used to happen uh, where you could go work at the foundry or you could go work at, at the local factory or whatever and make a good living straight out of high school in terms of short term. Now, long term, is that job still going to be there? Is that something that really fills you with purpose or is it soul crushing? That's a whole different conversation. But yeah, I mean, we've seen a dip already. When we look at at the birth rates again, if we go all the way out to 2037, 2038, I mean, that's where things are really starting to bottom out. That's that's similar numbers to what we saw in 2015 in terms of the number of 17, 18 year olds. And there was no crisis then, right? There was no, you know, no one was pulling their hair out saying there's no students to be found back in 2015. Uh, so we're just not it's not as much of a crisis. Is it something we have to adapt to? Yes, because I think everyone got used to larger numbers. Well, you can't keep doing that. A bigger sort of compounding issue. So I'm here in Indiana, you know, from a few years ago, two thirds of, of students were going to college straight out of high school. Uh, now it's only about half. So we're going to be seeing this fewer students graduating high school, but also fewer going to college straight out of high school. Um, so I think you have to think more about where do we go? It's not necessarily, well, you know, the, what, who is it that the sky is falling? The sky is falling. Uh, we've got yeah, chicken little. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All I could think of, uh, I don't know if you, you have ever read, uh, the stinky cheese man. Uh, but I have not, oh, it's a, it's a really good one. Uh, but that my kids like that one better and it has one, um, it has basically like fractured fairy tales almost, but, uh-huh. uh, okay. That was a sidetrack. Uh, so where do they go from here? So if we're only talking about first time students coming straight out of high school, yeah, that's, there's going to be a shift there. We have to adapt. But right now, I mean, depending on what numbers you're looking at, there's 35 to 40 million people in the U S who have stopped out of college. So they have some college, no degree. That's people who may want to finish their degree. That's may people who may want, you know, some additional credential. They may want, you know, there's other options for them there. Uh, We need to think about the ongoing credentialing, right? So the certificates, the other things that we are all lifetime learners. You do not stop taking classes, right, Dustin? You do not stop learning. No. And so there's, there's these opportunities for you know, I know people love talking about badges and digital things and all this, but just continuing to learn. I mean, if we think about what a university is, it's an educational institution. Its sole purpose is not to produce degrees, is to educate. And so if we get back to that route, you have certificates, you have credentials, you have the one that that baffles me a little is why so many colleges have just seeded the idea of boot camps 
to for-profit organizations to nonprofit mm-hmm. organizations why not have these short high intensity lessons where either students who are already there can learn a specific skill or people from the community or if it's online people from anywhere in the world can come in and learn because that is part of education that is part of their mission so we have to think about the service changes right in terms of how things are delivered what's delivered what are we doing is it only here on campus is it within the community you think about you know the when i was in high school our high school used to offer community classes and evenings because otherwise the building's staying empty mm-hmm. so why not offer something to help the community is mission driven there uh, so there's things like that you know with the demographics changing we have to think about how do we serve low-income students traditionally underrepresented populations uh, when people phrase it as a a demographic cliff i think this the hairs on the back of my neck stand up a little because that's not necessarily it it's not the way we want to think about it yeah there's fewer white students why is that a crisis you know it, we mm-hmm. just have to start thinking about okay, if, if that's your primary, if that's who you primarily serve, let's dig deep and say, why is that? Why are we not able to recruit these underrepresented populations? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a poker tell or something where it's yeah, just like, yep. you know, yeah. If you're like really focused on that and worried about it, then it's like, okay, it's clear that you don't have anything that is a value or relevancy for, yeah. yeah like adult learners and those sort of things. And then even just like, uh, you know, well, they haven't come before so that it's like okay let's reevaluate yeah like our program offerings but also like how do we support engage you know those students versus solely yeah like traditional aged yeah college students yeah well you know there's a lot that we've gotten into in this conversation so you know we'll certainly have ways to connect with you and the uh kind of companion uh, article that you wrote on kind of these trends and everything but are there other uh, resources on this topic that you'd like to share that we could also include in the show notes yeah i mean uh there's a lot of great information on coming out of of ipads and other there but uh witchy does a great job uh people aren't familiar with witchy for data great organization uh census data can be really interesting to dig through although it is often a a mess to try and make sense of uh if you're looking for like when we talk about these these lowered birth rates, they're different in different parts of the country. So the Northeast uh, is going to be hit a lot harder uh, than the Southeast, for example. Uh, so you know that's that's there's things like that you can dive into a little bit more uh, if you want. We do a lot of student surveys and research. Uh, you can find all that niche.bz/research. Uh, that's just the shortened link to get there. Uh, if you want to see changing student perspectives over time, uh, what majors they're interested in over time, things like that. Um, yeah, that's that's some of the the main ones I go to. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate you sharing all that. Um, but uh, we'll end the episode, though, uh, as we always do. If you have a final thought or call to action, I feel like... Uh, I mean, you already brought the soap back, uh, soapbox out once. Uh, happy to <laughs> happy to drag that out again here because uh, I mean I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously like a very clear imperative here. I think you know as we've kind of uh, talked through a lot of different stuff around you know yeah the differentiation, personalization, and everything. But I guess diversification would be another word I use. You yeah. know, like program offerings and all that. But yeah, I don't know what comes to mind as a final thought or call to action that you have to uh, wrap up the episode. Yeah. Can I cheat a little and, and give a segmented response? Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> I'll allow uh, it. All right. Thank you. Uh, and, and edit point. And <laughs> <laughs> I think for, for marketing people hearing this, reframing your com flows, your print pieces, everything in terms of, is this valuable to my audience? Is what I'm saying something that is valuable to them? Is it something that matters to them at this point, solves a problem, gets them excited, builds advocacy, or is it just saying something that we want to say? Uh, for the enrollment people on the side of the house, you know, what barriers are there for students? And do we need the information we're asking at this time to provide that relevance? Anytime we can remove barriers, you're supporting students, you're removing stress, you're going to help yourself as well. So it's sort of that, yes, you're helping the students and that should be your focus, but you will also reap the benefits from it. I think those are very clear, actionable, relevant pieces of advice. So I appreciate I you kind so. of synthesizing <laughs> that together. Yeah. Um, and making sure that folks uh, have those, like, if nothing else, those are the yep. takeaways uh, that you can put into action. So just thank you so much, Will, for, for hanging out, uh, sharing all that you did. And uh, like I said, we'll have ways to connect with you and uh, Niche and all the resources that you shared in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, I love geeking out about all this stuff and, um, yeah, sharing some some great advice for folks. Yeah, Thanks, Dustin. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.